right, we turn our Bibles together to Romans uh, chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, please just stick your hand up. And I want to be more than happy to uh, give you a copy uh, to hold and to read along with. And uh, I think it's the same as in our church. Do you guys give those Bibles to visitors? Okay, good. If you don't have one, take it home. Happy Canada Day. If it's, if it's not the way it's supposed to be, I guess I'm paying the bill. But from me to you, happy Canada Day. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Uh, really excited this morning to open up God's word with you and praying. Uh, this will be a powerful time together. Romans 8, 31 to 39. Let me uh, encourage you with these four life-changing words. You miss everything else of this sermon. I want you to get these four words. We're going to be pounding this nail the whole sermon long. It's this. God is for me. Amen? Think about it for a minute. Think about the intensity of those words, the immensity of those words. God is for me. Such a foundational truth for our lives, such an instrumental truth for our lives, such a transformational truth for our life. God is for me. If you understand this, nothing else really matters. The thing is, the thing is, if you've been in church long enough, you know this, you know this, but isn't it true? Even though we know it, we know it, isn't it hard to believe sometimes? I know for me, when I go through the hardest, darkest seasons of life, it just, someone can preach it, someone can say it, but just to believe it, oh my goodness, is it difficult to believe. Even as I say those words this morning, I'm sure there's four different camps of people in this, in this room that kind of doubt already that this is going to go anywhere productive for them. You're, you're already starting to wonder, is this really true? Can this be true for me? And some of you today, coming in here, hear those words, and you automatically you know, start thinking this, that there's um, no way that this could be true because God's too fact and you're all fiction. God's too fiction and you're all fact is what I meant. You come in here and you're like, I don't even believe this stuff. I don't believe in God. I don't see him. I can't feel him. I know I'm real, so I choose to put my hope right here. Me. Some of you hear those words as you think about. Some of you hear those words and you start thinking things like this, that, that God's too small and I'm too big. No God exists and yet... I sometimes wonder if he's all that he says he is and his power is as great as he says and if his promises are really true for me. I wonder if God really hears my prayers. If you have a little teeny tiny God in a little box. And again, you know that you're real, you know that you exist, so you're going to put all your hope in you and then you're happy with that. My hope is here, right here. I put my stock in me. As you hear those words and you start thinking things like this, that God's too significant and I'm too insignificant. Why would God care about me? You know, God's king of the universe and, and he's king of all kings and here's little old me, he's king. Like I'm peasant, I'm maybe less than peasant. Really, you think God cares about me? He's got a universe to run, he's got meetings to attend, he's got VIP Christians to look after. I don't even think that my prayers make it to his inbox. You sure God's for me? Doesn't feel like it. Even other you think this, you think, well, that sounds good, but, but God's so perfect, and he's so holy, and he's so just, he's so righteous, and I'm really none of those things at all, so there's no way that God can be for me. Man, perfect God, I am a sinner, I get it, I mess up every single day, I try hard, I just can't seem to, ugh. There's no way God can be for me. I'm a screw up, I'm a mess up. If I was God, I wouldn't even draft me to his... To my team, not to mention put me on the field. Have you ever thought any of those things? 
be honest with you today. I'm a pastor. I got my hand right up. Ever thought any of those things? You heard the words, God is for me? The enemy wants you to live right in that reality because if you live in the reality of believing all those things, those falsehoods that he puts in our minds and hearts, you're going to miss the full reality of what Christ is all about, what God really wants for your life. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 35. This is the truth. Those things aren't true. Those things aren't true. This is the truth here. It's subtitled God's everlasting love. I know it's a familiar passage, but don't get lost in the familiarity of it this morning. Open your hearts once again to hear and to receive and to believe these things truths. God's everlasting love. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Doesn't it feel like that some days? But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people can't help but say, Amen. There's a reason why this passage is so popular and so meaningful and so so much the go-to passage that we always go back to it's because it's because these truths are our life as believers this is it this is everything if you're a believer this isn't just a rah-rah speech today this is absolutely true of your life and no one can take it from you and if you're not a believer today you came in here and you're starting to think along the lines of maybe the first couple things I said today you can know this, that God is for you. You know how you know God is for you? Because he, he wants to teach you this today. He wants to speak into your life to this, this, these truths today. So that at the end of this, you would say, God, I want you and you alone. And I want you to take me and I want to be yours and I want you to be mine. Through it all, we see this truth. God is for me. If you look at this text, these few verses, there's seven questions. Seven of life's deepest questions answered in the passage this morning. Shows us that God's not intimidated by our questions and he's willing to answer every one of our questions. Look at the question marks that are in here. You can circle the question marks. Verse 31, there's a couple questions. Verse 32 and 33 and 34, there's one question. Verse 35, there's two questions. Really the deepest questions we ask ourselves. We think, you know, is there anything that can derail God's plan for my life? Well, sure there is. These things are surely the things that can mess me up and take me off God's plan. And yet God reminds us that this isn't the case at all today. Let's start with the first question. We're not going to get to our notes yet. Let's give, the, give you the context of this passage through the first question. Look what it says there in verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? Your natural question should, to be, should be to what things? What shall we say to these things? Well, what things is he talking about? He's talking about all of Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 8 up to this point. What does that say? Let me give you a quick overview, like a high overview of Romans chapter 1 to 8 so far in this book. Here's what's happening. God is revealing to us in Romans chapter 1 the gospel as a revelation of God's righteousness. 
Then he reveals to us the beginning of Romans, God's righteous wrath against sinners. The hopelessness of man because of our sin. But then he spells out for us at the beginning part of Romans that, that the, there's saving righteousness, there's a saving righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, and there's a deep hope as a result of righteousness by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And we say, wow, what can we say to that? Except, wow. And then we look at Romans chapter 8, we see a bunch of more truths that we can just maybe quickly unpack this morning as we, as we get to the, the what can we say about these things. Listen to how Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, even though we are desperate deep sinners, and we deserve God's wrath. He has given us his son that that would no longer have to be our reality. Chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And every one of us is going, yeah! Then he unpacks for us that there is life in the spirit of God. And, and you're not in the flesh, in verse 9, but in the spirit. And if in fact the spirit does dwell in you. And so the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And we're again like, yes, Lord! And he reminds us that we're heirs with Jesus Christ, that we're not servants or slaves. We're his sons and daughters by the reality of Jesus. And then he tells us that we're going to have a future glory. It's coming. The future glory is coming. It's coming. And the glory that not just you long for, but all of creation longs for. It's there. It's real. And then he tells us that in the meantime, we have the Holy Spirit to help us. He's our comforter. He's our guide. He's our intercessor. Even when you know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is helping you in your weakness and offering prayers up to God. Then we learn that all things work together for good for those that love Jesus. For real. Because of our salvation, because we've been predestined, chosen before the creation of the world, we're being sanctified from one degree of glory to another to be like Jesus Christ. And then we're gonna, we've already been glorified, future reality, past tense, we've been glorified in Jesus Christ. What can we say to these things? What can we say to these things? These truths are greater than life. Greater than the Raptors winning whatever they won. Greater than the hope of the Leafs ever winning the Stanley Cup, which probably won't happen. These are the realities. We're like, wow, what can we say to these things? God is truly for us. You ever doubted God is for you? Read Romans chapter 1 right up to chapter 8. God is for you. And if he's for us, this isn't a question mark. They're like, so is God for us? I don't know. Do you think he's for us? Well, if he is, if he is, I don't know. Do you think? It's not a like if. It's not a question mark in the sense of like, I don't know. It's an if as in like, if these things are true, for sure he's for you. So because he's for you, who could be against you? And who really cares if they are? Because when we have God, we have everything and everyone we could possibly need. Think about that. If God is for you, who could be against you? And does it really matter? Man, the against us pile up in life, don't they? They sure do. We have friends that have turned against us. We have bosses that want to fire us, coworkers that want to take our jobs. We have exes, ex-spouses, and ex-friends that want to demolish us and ruin us. We have ourselves sometimes that want to beat ourselves up. But if God is for us, it doesn't matter who is against you. The, the strongest power in Canada, in the universe, could be against you. It doesn't matter. Because God is for us. How do we know God's for us? Sounds great, but can I be sure God's for me? I want it to be true, I don't know. Well, look what it says next. Oh, you can be sure God is for you. Look, look what it says next. You want proof? Here's the proof right here. What shall we say to these things? Praise God's a great response to those things. 
God is for us. Who can be against us? Look at verse 32. You want proof that God is for you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, the pastor says God's for me. I know my friends say God's for me. My mom tells me God's for me. Is God really for me? Of course he is. You know how we know? Because God graciously gives us his everything. God graciously gives you his absolute everything in life. We have long enough. We've come to know people in two different, two different scenarios of life. Many are takers and many are givers. There doesn't really seem to be a halfway in between. Some people, you see them coming, and you ought to think, taker, taker, run, lock the door. They're coming. They want something. Other people, you see them come like, yes, bring it on, open the door, welcome them in. They're going to bring me something for sure. Somehow, throughout life's scenarios, many of us have come to understand God is a taker and not a giver. God just wants to take from me. He wants to take my finances and he wants to take my talents and he wants to take my abilities. And I need to give him my obedience and my allegiance. And man, God only wants to take, 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 take. Furthest thing from the truth, look at the, verse, look at the words in this text. God gave us his son. He graciously gives us all things. Here's who God is in the world. Just to help you understand the true reality of God. God is a giver, not a taker. We give to God our lives because he is so generous. He's given us everything else. Why would we not want to give him our lives in worship for who he is? God's a giver, not a taker. You know when you take your kids out to the restaurant and the waitress comes by at the end of the meal. If you have little kids and she brings that little treasure chest sometimes and opens it up with a big smile and says, Hey kids, you want a gift? Even my 15-year-old gets excited about that, even though he won't admit it. And the kids' faces light up, and the, the waitress lights up, and they dig in, and they grab a, we have a special needs daughter. She usually puts two hands in there. We're trying to get her hands out, just one thing. And everyone seems excited. That, that's the reality of God. Don't take my word for it. It says right here in this text, God has this big, I believe God has a big treasure chest in heaven, and he just loves to open it up and put a smile on his kids' faces for the things, not that we necessarily want, but the things that we deeply need for life. And he keeps giving, and he keeps giving, and he keeps giving, and just when you think, oh man, God can't possibly give me anything more, guess what? He gives more. He's given us the greatest gift ever. He's given us his son, the most... That's the granddaddy of all gifts. That's the gift of all gifts. That's the most precious, priceless gift you could ever get. You have already received the best gift ever. It's his son, Jesus Christ. And it wasn't that you went looking for him. It's God did not spare his own son. In other words, he initiated. He willingly offered up his son for your life and my life. He gave you his son. Stop and think about that for a minute. You've been in church long enough. You're like, we get it. Jesus came. Like, just think about God gave you his son. Like, like what kind of father would do that? First funeral I ever did as a youth pastor was I was a part of a funeral of a 20-year-old. I was 26. He was 20. A young man was 20. And he died of an overdose a week before he went to Teen Challenge. He was supposed to go to Teen Challenge. And they asked me to do a part in a funeral. And quite honestly, I couldn't stand up to say my words. And his father sat right here in the front row. And I couldn't help but look at Barry's face. And the anguish and the devastation of losing a son. It, like, I could barely get through the little part I had. I tell our people all the time, like, man, if you needed my son's heart or my son's something that's going to cost his life, like, I'd pray for you and I wish you well, but you would never get any part of my son. I remember going to the graveside of this funeral, and I remember having to stand up and say something at the graveside, and I couldn't make it through. And I remember, I can't imagine losing one of my two boys. 
senior pastor's like, you'll get tough, buddy, don't worry, first funeral, this funeral director laughing, I hope I don't get tough. Somehow we've come to associate Jesus with God saying, okay, buddy, see you later, good luck, have fun. Think about this, God gave Jesus a proverbial hug in heaven, didn't pack a thing for him, sent him to the ghettos of earth, only knowing full well that he was going to be ridiculed, he was going to be rejected, he was going to be railed upon, ultimately beaten to a pulp and nailed to a Roman cross. Why would he do that? Because he didn't love his son? No, don't, don't, don't think that at all. He loved his son immensely. His perfect union with his son. In fact, part of the darkness of Good Friday was the whole cosmos was mourning the death of the son of God. Why did God do, do that for us? Why did he give him up for us? Because we as human beings in our sin, in the immensity of our sin, in the intensity, the consequences of our sin... We only had one hope, and it was going to be Jesus. Even your smallest sin is an affront to a holy God. There's no place for your sin in the presence of God. The consequence is death. Who can handle the immensity of death? None of us. So God sent us his son to live the perfect life that he expected that we cannot live. To die the death that we deserve to die. That we might have a fullness of life and be restored with the Father. That's why he gave him up for us all. Is that not the most amazing gift you've ever heard of or begin to contemplate in your life? Absolutely, praise the Lord. It's exactly what Jesus was. The once and for all gift we needed. For salvation of our sin and restoration of our souls to a holy God. Saw a foreshadowing of this in Genesis, Genesis chapter 22 with Abraham and Isaac. Remember that? Like, hey, Abraham, do you love me? Uh-huh. Take your son and put him on the altar. Okay, God. Somehow convinces his teenage son to climb up on an altar and he's about to get the dagger down. And then, remember the story? Ram gets caught in the thicket and Jesus is like, Abraham, don't do it. He's like, whoo. It was just a test. <laughs> Good one. Can you imagine passing that test? Went over and got the ram and put the ram on the altar. Took his son off and offered the ram. And Jesus is the sacrificial ram or lamb for our lives. For God so loved, not just the world, your own soul. Don't get too familiar with that verse either. And lose the wow, that God loved you that he gave his only son. Think about that for a minute. Is God for me? I don't think God's, is God for Of course God is for you. He gave you his son. But then look what else he promised. He promised not just to give us his son. But he promises to give me everything else I need as well. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also now with him graciously give us, how many things does it say? How many things? Come on, you guys can read. How many things? All things. Think about this. If God gave you his son, why would he not give you everything else? Like everything else is nothing compared to his son. It's like your parents giving you a million dollars and you go over to their house and say, I'm a little bit hungry. Can I have a snack? Can I have a grilled cheese? I didn't think you'd give me a grilled cheese. Are you kidding me? I'd give you a million dollars. Why would I give you a grilled cheese? It's not that he has to give us anything, but he graciously gives us all things. It's not like we're entitled to God, you have to give me now. He doesn't have to give us anything. But he graciously gives us all things. You know what all things means in the Greek? If you study the Greek, you know what all things literally means? It's going to rock you. All things. It means everything. Again, not the things you want. Even bad parents don't give their kids everything they want. But the things you need. Everything you need for this journey God's, God's called you to. He gives you everything you need for the journey to be and do what God's called you to be and do. 
Help me understand that. Help me understand that for a minute. I'll help you understand that. Check out some of the all things I found in scriptures I prepared for this, this sermon. Here's some all things that helps us unpack what all things really means. It's so broad. What are some of the all things? It tells us in 1 Chronicles 29, 14 that all things come from God to you. In fact, you have to believe in God to, to know that everything you have, there's one source, it's God. Every good and perfect gift, James 1.17 says, is from the Father in heaven. In other words, everything you have is from God. But I got my job. God gave you the life and the breath and the ability and the school, everything, everything you have comes from God. God's common grace, he's given you everything in your life. Good and perfect gifts, the best gifts, Jesus Christ, he's given you those as well. They come from God himself. How about this, all things? Philippians 4.13, I can do... All things through Christ who gives me strength. All the strength you need for what's ahead of you, God will give you. Some people take this verse out of context. I can do all things, so I really want to score the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl and get the big contract, so I'm going to pray hard. That's not it. I need that million-dollar idea from God so I can be comfortable and live by That's not it. God can give you all strength to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish in life. For his glory and his mission. What about this verse? 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God gives you all grace so, so that having all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All grace, all things, all times. Putting it simply, God's given you the tool belt and the credit card and the helpers to build, the, whatever, build his kingdom the way he's called you to build his kingdom. Here's another one. 2 Peter 1.3, these verses might be familiar to you. Let them hit you again this morning. God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need in life comes from God. He promises to give you everything you need. Wisdom and guidance and courage and comfort. Everything you need. What do you need? God promises to give it to you. Godliness, the ability to make right decisions and to stand for truth that everyone else runs away and to become more like Christ. He's given you everything you need for those things. No more can we say, well, it says in the word, but I can't do it. Absolutely you can. God's given you everything you need to do it. Last one, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It's not necessarily in all things, but it's in everything, which in my books is the same as all things. Give me some grace on that one. Every spiritual blessing comes from God. Every spiritual blessing, it's like sitting at the bottom of Niagara Falls, mouth wide, the falls cascading over the cliff, and you're going like, I can't, like, what do you do? That's, that's God's spiritual blessings he pours upon our lives. God gives you a son, why would he not give you all the things you need for life and godliness? He will, he promises. And some of you are thinking, but I've been going through some pretty hard times, Pastor, and I don't really feel like I have everything I need. The Bible tells us it's probably because you haven't asked for it, James chapter James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. If you ask for what you need, God's not going to be like, mm, la, 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 la. He gives it to you. Maybe you don't have it because that same passage points out to you that sometimes we ask for things selfishly because we want to spend it on ourselves, we want to get comfortable. And God's like, you're not getting those things. It's not good for you. The other scenario in the scriptures is this. If you don't have it, it means you don't need it. You need it. God delivers faster than Amazon Prime. The things that you can't buy on Amazon Prime. Amazing reality to think about. This afternoon, this week, he gives me everything that I need. Get this also. God is for you. Starting to believe that God is for you. God has given up his son. He gives you everything you need. Get this. He silences my accusers. Look at verse 33. 
more proof that God is for you? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is God is who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. In other words, who can charge us? Who can condemn us? Nobody, because God is the one who has ultimate authority and reign over all those things. And if he is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. You walk long enough through life, and let's be honest, the charges start piling up. What's a charge? You break the law, you have these charges that pile up. You, you break the law of God, you have charges that start piling up, the things that you do against God. Who, who, who can bring any charge against you? Nobody. Who can condemn you? Who can bring down the final gavel of a verdict upon your life? Nobody can except God, and he's already on your side. You don't have to worry about it. Think about how often you battle the charges and the condemnation that seem to swirl our lives. times you didn't measure up, the times you did wrong and you should have done right. Times somebody can look at, look at you and say guilty and you're like, I know I'm guilty, I get it. It says who can put any charge against us or who can condemn us? You know who the person who puts the biggest charge against us all the time is not even the enemy, you know who it is? You know who's the biggest accuser we have? Ourselves. Isn't it true? You know the skeletons in your closet? You know what you deal with on a daily basis. You know where you mess up and where you try hard and you just can't seem to do it. I got all those things too. And we start telling ourselves, like, you suck. How can you call yourself a Christian? There you go, failure, did it again. You start replaying all those tapes of all your failures and charging yourself and condemning yourself over and over. Well, why do we do that? God's on our side and he's the only one that charges and condemns. You know who else is really quick to jump on these charging and condemning? This charging of condemnations, others around us, even within the church. I feel they don't get this one, but it's true. You know your flaws. You start living with other believers, and all of a sudden they start seeing like, oh yeah, look at that over there. Ha, I, I knew you couldn't do it. He did it again. You hear the whispers, he did it again. Are you sure you're a Christian? You don't believe the way I believe, you don't do the way I do. Are you sure? Your battles have been going on too long now, you possibly can't be a believer. Other people seem to think they have jurisdiction and authority in our lives to charge us and condemn us when they don't have any of it at all. And then on top of those two things, on top of those two things, we have the enemy. And this is his best tactic because he has no power over us. You know how he gets us? He gets us with this whispers of accusation. I mean, whispers of condemnation. Revelations 12, 10 says he's a great accuser of the brethren. In other words, he just stands in a, stands beside, he just whispers little lies in your all the time. You, you stink. You can't do it. You aren't a good Christian. God can't love you. You may as well quit. Quit on yourself. Quit on your family. Quit on the church. Quit on God. You can't do it. You can't. You ever heard those whispers? I'm really just a pastor in this church, so I'm glad I stand alone. But his only, his only power over us is lies, so... He wants to get us with lies, and so he wants to drag us out of the, out of the house with our, his lies. He wants to dig a pit for us with his lies. He wants to bear us with his lies. But get, get this, it doesn't matter what charge you come up against, what charge the other people come up against, what charge Satan comes up, up with against you, probably true in all cases. But guess what? They don't stand a chance in the court of God. You can tell yourself to get over yourself. You can tell the other people. You can just keep smiling as they accuse you and charge you. Keep smiling, thinking that they don't have any right to do that. They're not, even the, they're not even the judge. You can tell Satan to shut up, Satan. Get out of my face. How many times you want to punch that guy in the nose and rip out his tongue? Jesus has done it on the cross. Look at the answer to this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? The obvious answer is nobody because it's God who justifies us. It's God who justifies us. He's the judge of the highest supreme court. 
He declares you innocent and right standing with himself through Jesus Christ. Justification is simply the legal term signifying complete acquittal or full pardon. You know, our culture, when someone gets a full pardon, they maybe did the crime and maybe too much time, the government gives them a full pardon. It's just like it never happened. That's justification. It's like it never happened. Even though deep down you know it's true, you know it should be. It didn't happen. Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross for our sins, look at this. He justified us. He put us before God as if we've never sinned. His death forgives us of all of our sin. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Think about that. When Jesus died on the cross, all your sin was future tense. And he died for it all. He died, it says more than that, he was raised again. And because he raised again, he has, he has absolved us of every penalty. He's given us brand new life in, in his Father. He's given us complete restoration with the Father. He's at the right hand of God. Get this, brothers and sisters, the highest court in the universe. There's no more supreme court to take. The highest court in the universe is already, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, he's, it's already declared you innocent of all charges. but I don't deserve it. You're right, you don't, but you're still innocent of all charges because of Jesus Christ. You don't think God is for you? Are you kidding me? God is for you. Remember the picture he gives us of this in Zechariah, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Joshua, the high priest, standing before God, God in filthy garments. In other words, he couldn't even hide his filthiness. It was so filthy. That'd be you and I. Where was the enemy standing at the right beside him doing the same thing he did in Revelations 12, just whispering that he's no good. God, you can't accept him. You can't love him. What, is it, what does God do in that scenario? He basically shuts the mouth of the enemy by, by having an angel come. And he, the angel removes the filthy robes, of the filthy ragged robes, and puts on a pure white robe of righteousness upon Joshua. That's what God has already done for you and I through Jesus Christ. That's what God's already done for you and I through Jesus Christ. No more filth. Just purity in God's eyes. He's at the right hand of God. Interceding for us. He's our advocate before the Father. This word interceding is another word that fits with the kind of court scenario they're talking about here. The defense lawyer, he intercedes for us. The defense lawyer, we're guilty. We have nothing to, to pay a lawyer for. And yet God... Uh, gives us the best defense lawyer in the universe, Jesus Christ, to come and represent us before the great judgment seat of God. And he's interceding for us. What does that mean? To be, what does it mean for him to be interceding for us? It means that, that he is taking all the charges that are laid before us and he is actually, you stay quiet, I've got this covered, I know the judge, I will go and I will make all things right. You let me do the talking for you and you'll get off. But here's what I need. I know what you need. I'll do it. And he's, he's, he's approaching the bench. He's approaching the bench for us constantly. Approaching the bench for us. Telling God himself that he's already paid the penalty for our sin. And there's no more record that we have before him. He's the best defense lawyer ever. Not only is he at the right hand of God, but he's also the son of God. He's got an in with the judge. And he can approach the bench at any time. And he's always approaching the bench. He's always interceding for us. He's always praying for us. We sometimes wonder, where is God? Or sorry, where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing up there? I know he's making my bed because it tells us in John that he's going to prepare a place for me. Is he playing golf and waiting for me to join the game? What's he doing? You know what he's doing? He's interceding at the right hand of the Father. He's, he's bringing us to the Father constantly. He's constantly praying for us. 
oh, God's for you. Don't, don't doubt it. God is for you. He's right now interceding for you right, right, right here in your seat that you hear this message, you receive it and understand it. When I was a teenager, I was a bit of a rebel, I guess you could call me. Not like a crazy rebel, but I was a stubborn, rebellious, had my own head and fought my parents a lot on things. And I remember coming home one, one, one uh, day for a spare, unexpected, came busting in the house, probably looking for a snack or something, went running upstairs and I was like, Mom, 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 where are you? I need, I need. And there she was on her bedroom floor on her knees. Oh, did you lose something? Mom's smart aleck, you know what I mean? She's like, no, I'm praying. Ooh, don't let me interrupt. What are you praying for? She's like, you. And you're like, keep on going, you know. That's almost 30 years ago now, and I still remember that. The only reason I stand here today is because my mom was a prayer warrior. She prayed, she prayed, she prayed. Get this. Not just your mom that prays for you, it's Jesus Christ himself praying for you. Constantly. Continually. What's he praying for? Not that you have a comfy, cozy, easy life, that's for sure. John 17 tells us what he's praying. He's praying this, he's praying not that we'd be taken out of the world, but we'd be able to stand strong in it. That we'd be guarded, that we'd be kept from the evil one, that our sanctification would be real through the word of God. we become more like Christ and more holy, that we'd know the truth, that we'd be one with other believers, that God's love would be in us, and that Jesus would reign in such a way the world would see the reality of God. Stop and think for a minute about these things. God gave up his son for you. He gives you everything else you need. He silences your accusers. He's your advocate before the Father. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't doubt it now. God is for you. He's so for you, the passage goes on to tell us, that he's actually closer than life itself. Well, I know he's for me now, but what happens if, what happens when, will he be for me then? Look what it says next. God is for you. Who shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ? Any of life's scenarios, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, even when you feel like you're being regarded as a sheep to be slaughtered, the obvious answer to all those questions is, will, will, will those things separate from the love of Christ? No, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. There's no place you can go without him. It's like a conjoined twin. Everywhere you go, the, the love of Christ goes with you. It's like the, the magnets at the science center. You know, those big strong magnets put together. The strongest man in the universe can't pull them apart. It's, it's a, the picture of the love of God for you. But you have no idea what I'm going through, what I've gone through. This can't possibly be true. I don't feel it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Get this. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to believe it to be true. It's still true because it's true that God is for you and God loves you no matter what. Even in your tribulation. See that word tribulation? Even in tribulation. He's not talking about the end times here where it's going to get all messy on us and it's going to be really hard. He's talking about tribulations you go through right now. The pressure cookers that put the squeeze on your soul. The word tribulation comes from the word tribulum which is an old threshing tool they'd use in, in the uh, harvesting of grain. Put the picture up next. 
and it's a wooden sled, and it's got these metal strips on the bottom. They throw the grain in the bottom. This is called the tribulum. They throw the grain in the bottom, and they slap this sled on it and pull it across, and it would separate the, the, the wheat, the, the grain head from the chaff. And this is the picture that they're using in this context. So tribulation, so, so those times when it feels like there's a sled on top of you and it's being raked across your back. We've all had those. Maybe some going through them right now. In, in those situations, is that, then it must be that God's left us. Not a chance. Even when you don't know you're up from your down. Because you're so overwhelmed with life. Even when you get that phone call that says, actually, it's true, you do have cancer. Someone you love does have that terminal illness. Maybe you're bullied at school and you think there's no way that God can be for me and the bullying gets worse and worse and worse. Maybe you're struggling as your parents have gotten separated or you are the one that's gotten separated and divorced and it's just so painful. It feels like there's a sled on top of you and there's nowhere God can be near you. He's just draking across your back. In those cases, has God stopped loving you? Absolutely not. What about times of distress? Official meaning of this word is a strict confinement, hemmed in. I'm a claustrophobic, so it makes me squirm just thinking of being strictly confined and hemmed in. And those times where you find yourself in this light, tight little space and there's no way out, it's completely dark as God left you then. And you're stuck. You're stuck in life. Your marriage is stuck. Your relationship with God seems to be stuck. Your family's stuck. Your church is stuck. Job stuck, stuck, stuck is a word that maybe then God's left me not a chance. What about persecution? Persecution is the hard things we encounter. It's when you stand up for Jesus Christ and his word and people ridicule you and they make your life difficult for you and they cause you to lose your job and all those different things. Is, is then, is then, is then God's love separated from me? Not a chance. What about those times where you, what about those times where you, or even come up against in your, 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 the hard economic times and the basic human rights don't even seem to be at your disposal and you're hungry and you're naked and you look at other parts of the world like God must not love them as much as he loves us so far from the truth. Even you can't clothe yourselves, it doesn't separate you from the love of God. When you can't feed yourself, God's love keeps feeding your soul in the whole, in the, throughout the whole season. All these situations that cause anxiety and depression and panic and despair. Danger, oh my goodness, that's applicable to today. Dangerous world, there's terrorist attacks, there's diseases that we've never heard of before. There's all kinds of, in, in dangerous times, has God left us not a chance. What about when someone comes to kill you, the dagger or the sword, or the assassin comes after your life. Still, 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 God promises that his love will be closer than ever before. Anytime you go through life and you feel like a sheep, Going to be slaughtered. I don't know what it feels like literally, but I know what it feels like proverbially. You can know this, brothers and sisters, that God is still with you because God is for you, not against you. Please don't be mad at God in those scenarios. We live in a sin-fallen world. The questions we ask ourselves in these cases is, why God? Why God? the answer to that one fully. We know he works all things together for good, for, together for our good. We don't know fully why he allows us to go through some things he allows us to. We don't fully know. 
Second question we ask ourselves is, where, God? Where are you, God? Where are you, God? Just give me a glimpse. Just let me know for somehow you're there, but it just seems like the heavens aren't opening like you asked. Where are you? We know this. God is right with you in the storm. God is right with you in the storm, especially the violent storms of life. God covers you. He might not take all the hardship away, but he covers you, he preserves you, he sustains you until it's your ordained moment to meet him in glory. I read a story in preparation for this sermon about a woman named Nikki Bradshaw Carpenter. Uh, Back in 2010, she was in Jackson, Mississippi, and a tornado was coming her way. Lived at a little mobile home park. And uh, her cousin called her and said, hey, there's a tornado coming straight for your mobile home. Like, get the kids, three little boys, six, three, and two. Get them in the trailer, take care of them, and hunker down. She realized she had nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. So she did what any mother would do. She grabbed her three little boys. She grabbed all the pillows she could out of the house. She put themselves in the room, in a room that seemed the sturdiest. And she laid on top of the pillows and the mattresses trying to protect her boys. Four hours later, when her cousin went to check on her after he got through all the shrapnel, he found his cousin, deceased, fridge and a freezer and shrapnel on her, but underneath her he found this, he found three little boys alive and well. Still breathing, still kicking, virtually unharmed from the storm. Where is God? Why God? I don't know, honestly, all the answers. Where is God? I know where God is for sure. He's covering you with all those pillows and he's sheltering you from the fiercest of storms. He promises And his word will never fail us. I get it. You can't see him in these seasons. Went through one myself not long ago. You can't see him. I can't feel him. It's hard to comprehend. My wife told me one day in the midst of the hardest trial we've gone through just maybe seven months ago. She said this. It'll stay with me forever. Will you stop? You don't have to see him, believe him, feel him. None of those things. It's just true because it's true because it's true. Just stop. It's true. (sighs) It's true. It's true. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 10. Write this verse down. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God. And not to us. We're afflicted in every way. Don't think you're not going to hit afflictions. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, guarded. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair, guarded. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, guarded. We're struck down, but not destroyed, guarded. Always carrying around in us the body, in the body, the death of Christ, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. If you're a believer today, say these words with me. It's true. Say it again, so it doesn't sound like you believe it really. It's true. It's true. Get this, get this. Proverbs 18, 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In these times, you have two places to run. You either run away from God, which most of us do. We run away from God or we run to God. You run to God. He's the strong tower that, that envelopes us and keeps us safe. And if you run to God, you can know this, with God... I will conquer. With God, I will conquer. Let me 
answer to all these questions is a proverbial no. The reality is no. Look at black and white, verse 37. No. No. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. In the Greek, this is like a hyper-conqueror, an over-conqueror. We're the conqueror of all conquerors. We're, we're like William the Conqueror. We're like this picture here. This is us. It might not feel like it. It might not seem like it. This is us. In the end, this is going to be us. And you're like, really? But I'm a more than conqueror? But you just talked about being sheep going to slaughter. Sheep aren't conquerors. Is there any, like, sports team that's like the Toronto sheep? What's your battle cry? The St. Catherine lambs, you know, like, oh, come on, let's fight the lambs. Like, lambs aren't conquerors. No, we're, we're, no, we're conquerors, not because of us. We're just still weak little sheep. We're still helpless little sheep. But here's the reality. The king of the jungle, the lion of Judah, is also our coach and also our captain and our star player. And if he's on our team, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. And his roar trumps all roars. Listen to this. For I am convinced, for I am convinced, I am sure, 100% sure, not too many things we can be sure on in this life, but I am sure that neither death nor life, even when you die, that's just your passageway to glory. It's not going to stop you. Even whatever happens in life, neither death nor life, the things that are in your life right now, the things that are coming, nor angels or rulers, nothing in the spiritual realm, in any realm in the universe, nor things present, the things that are right here right now, are things to come, the expected and unexpected, no powers in this world, no physical powers in this world, nor height, nor the hype of astrology or the depth of astrology, nothing else in all of creation, even if a giant sinkhole were to swallow us up right now into oblivion, or the earth were to spontaneously combust and we all disintegrate, guess what? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, my Lord. This isn't a rah-rah speech today, this is true. This is true. I don't know what you walked in here carrying. I don't know what you walked in here believing. Let me tell you this today, through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, whatever you're carrying, you can lay it down today and come to Jesus. Whatever you came in here believing, now's a good time to turn your mind and your heart by the strength of God right now and say, God, I want to align with you. I want to believe what you say. I want this to be my reality. This is our reality. I want this to be the truth that I live with. Let me leave you with this before we go. Martin Luther, a man who stood against these spiritual forces and against a whole lot of things in life and prevailed over them through Christ, wrote these words in the hymn we know as a mighty fortress. And he says this, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Sabbath his name from age to age is the same. And he must win the battle. He must win the battle. Ultimately, he doesn't even win the battle for your sake. I hate to break it, it's not even for your sake. It's for the glory of his own name. It's for the glory of his name and his son. He will win the battle because nothing will take away the glory of God. Because you are his and he is yours. He will win the battle for the glory of his own name. We can have that assurance, that confidence today. No matter what, end of story, period. It's finished. God wins. His glory reigns. And we are safe and secure in his loving arms until the day we meet him. And then we get to experience him forever and ever. That is awesome. That is true. If nothing else, remember this. God is for you. Let me pray.
Father, unbelievable you are. Thank you, God, for your word. I pray, Lord, that the familiarity of this passage wouldn't cause our eyes to gloss over and our ears to close and our hearts to be hardened. But instead, oh God, would you open up every heart here to believe and to see this reality, these truths in their own lives. Father, for those that came here not believing, God, oh, give faith right now, God. Give saving faith. Help them see that you're their answer, you're their solution, you're their savior. And life is only worth living if you are in their life, both now and forever. God, would you even save souls today? Help people to realize, maybe for the first time, that you are for them. You're for them. Life's dealt them some hard cards, but you're for them. God, I pray for those walking in here discouraged. They want to throw in the towel. They want to throw up their hands and say, there's no way. I can't do it. God, would you help remind them that, oh, God, you are so for them. You gave them your son and everything else that they need. Would you strengthen the weak, Lord? Would you encourage the discouraged? Would you draw back the wayward today? Would you enable the powerless? Father, for those that are fired up and seeing all these things real in their lives, God, just bless them with this message today. Give them increased fervor, increased joy to serve you, increased intensity in their passion for you. What can we say to these things, God? Words really can't comprehend, can't articulate. Minds can't comprehend, words can't articulate the fullness of these most glorious truths. So all we can say to you, God, is thank you. We love you. We give you our lives. We ask that you would reign again in us and show us, God, a greater view are in Jesus.